His father is the vine dresser. You, my disciples, you are the branches. The events soon to unfold would radically shake the life, the faith of the disciples. But Jesus calls them to abide in him, to remain in him. This is the only way that they will bear fruit. This is how we are to live as God's people. So the key to this passage, our our purpose as Christians is to bear fruit. So we must abide in Jesus. Our purpose as Christians, the reasons why we exist is to bear fruit for the glory of God. But in order to do so, we must abide, remain in Jesus. There is no middle ground here. To be a true disciple is to abide. To abide is to bear fruit. So what are we to learn from this metaphor? And how are we to live in light of it? This is what I want us to think about. So the first thing is learning from the metaphor. Learning from the metaphor. And the first thing that we see is Jesus calls himself the true vine. What he's saying is he's the source of the fruit. Jesus is the true vine. This is the seventh and final I am statement that you find as you're reading through the gospel of John. And what John is showing us through the life of Jesus is that the God of Israel, the God who appeared to Moses, is now physically here in the person of Jesus. I am is here. But why does Jesus say the vine? I am the vine. Well, vine imagery was a common illustration in the ancient world. It was especially common in the Old Testament, as you heard our brother Craig read from Psalm 80 earlier. And because of John's many Old Testament allusions and quotes, we should be thinking Old Testament here. And Israel is typically pictured as God's vine, as God's vineyard. But what's interesting is if you look back at the Old Testament and you see the the examples where Israel is used as a vine, it's usually in a negative sense. For Israel is not doing that for which God has designed them, that which God has called them to do. They are failing to produce the fruit that God has intended. Think of what we read from Psalm 80. God cleared the ground. He planted the vine but boars from the forest ravage it. Insects from the fields feed on it. If you were to look at Isaiah chapter five, the first seven verses, you would see a similar story. God says that I planted this beautiful vineyard, but it ends in verse seven saying, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah. They are his pleasant planting. God delighted to do this, but yet God looked for justice. But behold, there was bloodshed. God looked for righteousness, but behold, there was an outcry from his people. But not all hope is lost. For even in the passage we heard from Psalm 80, we heard that there is hope. There is a prayer that someone would come who would bear fruit. And later in Isaiah chapter 11, you're probably familiar with this verse, There shall come forth a root from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And Isaiah says that in this day, God will gather his people from all the nations. So listen again as Jesus says, I am the true vine. Do you hear it? I am the true Israel. 
I am the stump of Jesse. I am bringing justice and righteousness. I will show you what God is really like. Israel was to be a light to the nations, a blessing to the nations, but they failed. But God's promises and God's faithfulness have not failed, but are fulfilled in Jesus. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, all of the promises of God find their yes, find their completion in Jesus. John shows us that Jesus is that light. Jesus is that blessing. John says that, Jesus said in the Gospel of John that I will go to the cross and I will be lifted up and there I will draw all people, all nations to myself. I will be the blessing. God's plan for blessing and renewing the world is found exclusively in Jesus. Notice he is not just a vine, he is the true vine. The only hope for this fallen world is Jesus. Do you want to know God? You must know Jesus. As he just said in the last chapter, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't know the Father but through me. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the source of the fruit. Next, as we're unpacking, learning from this metaphor, we see that God, the Father, is the vine dresser. And his role is to ensure increased fruitfulness. He ensures increased fruitfulness. While the Son is certainly central, while this story is mainly focused on Jesus, it's not as if the Father is just sitting in the background, right? Just sitting under the shade. I'm going to let the Son do all the work. No, the Father has planned all of this, and he is actively involved in the life of the vine, the life of the branches, so that it may produce more fruit, and also he takes away those branches that are not producing fruit so that the life can go to the true branches. The Father is actively involved. After all, you remember what he said back in John chapter 3, I'm sure you do, that God is the one who sent his Son. God sent his Son. God is actively involved. And then we we see the branches. We see the branches. And what what are they doing? They they exist to bear fruit. So we've got Jesus, we've got the Father, and we've got the branches. Jesus says to his disciples there in verse 5, you are the branches. Verse 2 talks about the branches that are in me. And, and what is the purpose of branches? Why do they exist? Well, they exist to, to bear fruit. You can see fruit is all over the place in this passage. I believe it's mentioned around eight times. And just thinking about a vineyard, just thinking about a vine, just thinking about branches, branches don't exist in and of themselves, do they? And branches don't exist merely to be a branch. Branches exist to bear fruit. Why does the vine dresser, after all, plant a vineyard? He doesn't just want to walk out and say, those are some really sweet branches. I like the curves on that one. No, he's looking for fruit. Therefore, our purpose as branches, our purpose as disciples, as followers, as Christians, is what? To bear fruit. 
And you, and you see down in verse 10 that this is actually how God is glorified. God is glorified when you bear fruit. Verse 2, the reason the Father prunes the branches is so that they can bear more fruit. In verse 4, the command to abide, why? So that you will bear fruit. Sorry, I said verse 10 earlier. I meant verse 8. God is glorified when you bear much fruit. Verse 16, the reason Jesus chooses and appoints is what? That you bear fruit. Are you familiar with the, the Geico commercials? If you want to save 15% or more on your car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do, Right? And one of their commercials has this generic kind of horror story, horror movie going on. There's teenagers arguing, and they're wondering, where should we go? There's somebody chasing them. And one girl suggests that they get into the conveniently running car that's right beside them. And the other teenager is saying, no, that's a really bad idea. Someone else suggests that they go into a barn that's filled with chainsaws. And where do you think they go? They go into the barn filled with chainsaws, and there they see this hidden madman lurking behind them, and he actually takes off his mask in this commercial, shaking his head at their foolishness. And the quote, or the catchphrase is, if you're in a horror movie, you make poor decisions. It's what you do. (laughs) Or another, there's a man out in the desert, and he falls into some quicksands, and there happens to be a cat right beside him. And he asks the cat for help. But the cat just stands there. It doesn't do anything. And the catch line is, if you're a cat, you ignore people. It's what you do. (laughs) So if you want to save, obviously the commercial is getting at, there's no other option. You switch to Geico. It's what you do. And what Jesus is teaching his disciples is, if you're a follower of me, if you are a Christian, You exist to bear fruit. It's what you do. But what if there is no fruit? They can still be Christians, right? Maybe the fruit, after all, is just for those really devoted, those really serious Christians. But we see in this passage that that is just not an option, The reason a branch exists is to bear fruit. And what happens if a branch is not bearing fruit? It's thrown away and burned. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, this is not a purifying fire that is You're not bearing any fruit, so God's just going to kind of purify the gold and and refine you. No, branches don't get refined in fire. This is judgment fire. So we have two types of branches, don't we? We have those who are true disciples. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, you are the branches. And then we, we have to say we have false disciples, And how do you know a true disciple? Well, look at verse 8. When you bear fruit, my Father is glorified that that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So how do you know you're you're a true disciple, a true follower of Christ, a true Christian? There's going to be fruit. 
And how do you know you are a false disciple? Well, false disciples don't abide and they don't bear fruit. The the key to the branches here is fruit is the distinguishing mark. And don't get me wrong, this isn't teaching, Jesus isn't teaching that if you are a Christian, you can, and somehow really experience salvation, that you can lose your salvation. Or he's not saying this is uh, somebody who struggles as a Christian, that God's going to get sick of you and just hack you off. No, this is a warning. Uh, This is a serious warning, though, for all of us who claim to be Christians. But there there is a disconnect, quite literally, from our profession to what is actually going on inside of us. And I think here John wants us to think about Judas. If you look back at John chapter 13, verse 10, when Jesus is gathered with the disciples... Jesus says to Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And here's the key. He says to Peter, you are clean, but not every one of you. And he was speaking of Judas. Now here in verse, uh, back in chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus says, you are clean. So he's clearly thinking about Judas in this, this false disciple narrative. Judas was associated with Jesus, right? Judas hung out with Christians. Judas knew many of the teachings of Jesus. Judas may have even listened to Christian music in his car. We don't know. But he left. He didn't abide. He didn't bear fruit. On the outside, he may have looked like a Christian. Judas, what, which religion are you? Yeah, I, I follow with those Jesus people. But it never engaged his heart. And what is it, we know that Jesus even taught this, what's in the heart will ultimately, what, come out. What you abide in will come out. Is this not a sobering warning for all of us? You can be heavily involved in Christian activities, argue for Christian values, fund Christian causes. Those are all good things, and I think true Christians do those things. But at the same time, you can be a Christian looking, but not actually connected to Jesus. And I think a helpful question to ask for all of us is, does Jesus shape the way you live in private the same way that he shapes the way you live in public? Does Jesus shape the way you think in private your secret thoughts when nobody else is around? Or is there, is there a disconnect between how you are publicly and how you are privately? Sunday should not be the only day you hear God's word and pray. Jesus talks about this also in Matthew chapter 7. He talks about, how are you going to know who, are my, who my disciples are? Well, surprise, Jesus said, by their fruit. And he even goes on to say that that many are going to come to me on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, and they're going to give their list of things that they've done for Jesus. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. But it's those who do the will of my Father. It's those who bear fruit. Fruit is the distinguishing mark between the branches. So the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. His followers are the branches. We exist as followers of Jesus as Christians to bear fruit. 
And if we're not bearing fruit, we prove that we are not a true disciple. So with, with all of this scene kind of set, the metaphor, the, the vine, the vine dresser, the branches, we see what's going on here. I think we need to ask, what's the fruit? And how do we, how do we bear this fruit? What does this fruitful life look like? What does the good life look like? Well, let's look at living the fruitful life. And first we think about the fruit. And I would define fruit in this passage as the life of Jesus through us or the life of Jesus in us. That seems to be what's going on. If you are connected or united to Jesus in him and him in you, notice abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. There is this union, as many people who study the Bible like to call the union to Christ. If you're united to Jesus, you can expect that his life will flow through you. So what can we expect? Well, there's a couple things from this passage that I think are helpful. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So it seems to be if, if we're abiding, we're going to ask things of God. What do we call that? We call that prayer, right? So a result of abiding is there's going to be a life of, of prayer, You see that also down in verse 16. If you're abiding because you've been chosen and appointed by Jesus, you will ask the Father in the name of Jesus. So a fruitful life involves prayer. And also look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. There's the idea, if if you're abiding in Jesus, you will keep his commandments. You will obey his teachings. And one of the most prominent teachings in this passage is in verse 12 and verse 17, is that you love one another. Do Do you live a life of loving one another? Or do you hold grudges? Are you slow to forgive? Or do you love one another? Jesus is teaching us here that to live a fruitful life of Jesus, you will love one another. You will experience joy. Verse 11. Do you experience joy? Would people describe you as a joyful person? Not perfect, but joyful. Or do you come across as always busy or too burdened or just bothered by people? No, Jesus produces joy. And that doesn't mean I'm just going to be happy all the time, no matter what happens. But even in the the good times and the bad times, there's a joy of knowing who I'm united to. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. That, That may be alluding to evangelism, sharing the gospel with people, fruit that abides. You're appointed for this purpose. So those are things in this chapter that I think uh, would characterize the fruit that is to come from us as followers of Jesus. But also think of what Jesus is. Jesus is the true Israel, right? So what did Israel fail to produce? Well, they failed to produce justice and righteousness. So if Jesus is the true Israel, we would suppose him to bring justice and righteousness. Therefore, his followers should be people characterized as people upholding righteousness and justice. And we can also think of other places in the New Testament where it's talked about fruit. 
Jesus even talked about you need to bear fruit that corresponds, that demonstrates repentance. Do you live as a person who has repented and trusted in Jesus? Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there forbearance? Is there kindness? Is there goodness? Is there faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? These are all things that Jesus produces. If you visit an apple orchard, you don't ask where all the oranges are, do you? Why? Because an apple tree produces apples, not oranges. That's what apple trees do. That's their genetic makeup or whatever it is about them. In the same way, followers of Jesus produce, I don't know what else to call it, so Jesus fruit, right? They produce, if we're connected to the vine and this is Jesus, we produce this type of fruit. It's our genetic makeup. And Christians for for centuries, ever since Christianity began, have known this and have looked to fruit as evidence to the life of a Christian, of a true Christian. There was a guy in the year 125 named Aristides who was a Christian. And the year 125 obviously isn't that long after Jesus and the apostles lived. But obviously Christianity at this time was facing persecution. Um, People didn't understand what it was. So how would you in that century try to prove Christianity? How would you try to defend Christianity? Maybe you would, in a good way, run to the resurrection. That, That seems pretty good. Maybe you would try to convince them of these sacred writings that have come from Jesus and the apostles. Maybe you'd try to think of an argument. But it's interesting that while those things can be helpful, and obviously the resurrection is central, this guy, Aristides, wrote a letter to the emperor at the time, and this is what he said in trying to show him what Christianity is and trying to show him that Christianity is true. Notice what he said. He says, Christians have the commands of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah himself, etched into their hearts. They keep these commands. They look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. They don't engage in idolatry or sexual immorality. They don't bear false witness. They don't covet that which belongs to others. They honor their father and mother. They love their neighbors. They judge according to justice. They do not do to others anything that they do not wish to be done to them. They comfort those who injure them even trying to win them over as their friends. They are eager to do good to their enemies. They are gentle. They are easy to approach. They abstain from unlawful lifestyles and all impurity. They don't neglect the widow nor oppress the orphan. What each one has, he is willing to give freely to the other. If they see one of their number outcast, they take him in under their own roof and rejoice over him as a brother. For they call themselves brothers, Not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. They are even prepared to sacrifice their lives for the sake of the Messiah. So do you see what this guy living very early on, Christianity is just starting to grow? Do you see how he tries to defend Christianity, point to Christianity? He says, look at their lives. They're completely different people than what our culture is producing. I wonder if that could be said about 
us today. It's a sobering thought to think about, isn't it? Would people look at Hamilton Baptist Church, what they know about us? Would they say, you know, they, they love each other even when it doesn't benefit them. They are quick to help the, the poor, the widows in the community, the orphans. They do these meetings and they actually care about them and it doesn't get them any benefit. They travel around the world to, to help orphanages and, and teach people when it doesn't give them any money back. Is this how your neighbors understand you to be? Are you producing fruit? But how do we produce this type of fruit? Well, Jesus doesn't, obviously, isn't just concerned about the external, although he is. Why? Because it points to what's really going on inside. If, if a branch isn't bearing fruit, there's something wrong with the connection. We know that there's nothing wrong with the vine because Jesus is the vine. So if we're not producing fruit, there's something wrong with the connection. You could say there's something wrong with the heart. And lastly, Jesus calls us to abide. Christians exist to bear fruit, but you can't just make fruit, right? You must be connected to the vine. You must, as Jesus says in verse 4, abide in me. And this word is used over 10 times in, in this set of verses. And you can see in verse 4, it's, it's the main verb. It's, it's the imperative. He's saying, abide in me. You want to bear fruit, you must abide in me. And this verb can be a little tricky to, to translate from, from Greek to English because it's basically an active verb, something you need to do, but it's telling you to stay, to remain. Maybe your translation even says, remain in me. It's an active verb telling us to stay. And I like the word remain because it helps us see that we need to stay put. We need to stay focused on Jesus. But I also like the word abide because it helps us see that this is a call to action. So I just say remember both words. Abide, remain. If somebody says, don't move, you're standing still, but you're actively doing it, right? Or maybe your mom has said to you before, don't say another word. You're not speaking, but you're actively not speaking, Jesus says, remain in me. You will be tempted to abandon me. You will at times doubt if I'm truly the son of God. You will at times think God's plan has failed. You will at times face great sorrow. You may even stare death in the face. Remain in me. Abide in me. Stay focused on me. To abide means to remain. Fake disciples don't remain with Jesus. True disciples abide in Jesus. John also helps us see in his other letter in 1 John, and he says this, that they, that he's talking about there are many antichrists, many people opposed to Jesus who are coming in the last days. And he says, they're actually already here. And he says this about these people opposed to Jesus. He says, they went out from us, from our congregations, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued, remained, abided with us. But they went out that they, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. 
Disciples abide, they remain in Jesus. Are you abiding in Jesus or are you abiding in sin? Does your life resemble Jesus or does it resemble greed, lust, selfishness, anger toward one another, jealousy? Have you been living like Judas, just following Jesus on the outside, but deep down inside, as Jesus would say, it's like a whitewashed tomb. There's just death inside. Repent today. The good news is the gospel is here today. Repent, trust in Jesus today. So to abide is to remain. And as we, as we draw this kind of down to a conclusion, I, I want us to think about four things to help us abide. Four things to help us abide. And the first is this. Know that Jesus makes you clean. So as you're abiding, know that Jesus makes you clean. Look at verse Two, in verse three, sorry, verse three. Already, Jesus says, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Back in verse two, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But then every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus says in verse two that God prunes you to make you more fruitful. But then his very next words are, but you are already clean. Think about the connection between those, those statements. Something will be done. Something needs to be done. But yet you already have something. And it becomes even clearer in, in the Greek because what he's doing is he's using a play on words. And you can even hear it, kathare and katharoi. That means nothing to most of us and really not me that much. But you see that he's using a play on words. And what is he doing? He's saying the father prunes. The father cleanses the branches to make them more fruitful. But you, in a sense, are already cleansed. You are already pruned. You are vitally connected to the vine and have been prepared by God to bear fruit. How? Because of the word which Jesus has spoken to you. The words of Jesus cleanse us. The words of Jesus prune us. The life of the vine is flowing into the branches. He chose us, verse 16. He loved us, verse 13. He reveals the Father's plan, verse 15. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He is the true vine. Do you believe in who Jesus is? Do you believe in what he has done? Do you believe his words? You are cleansed. This is how you are prepared to bear fruit. You are united to Jesus by faith and by trusting his words, you and me and I and you, you are united to him. And then how does this grow? Number one, know you're cleansed by Jesus. Number two, know that the Father will prune. Just as a vine needs ongoing care, ongoing attention, so do we. Remember, you are clean, but you still need continual pruning. It will hurt at times. Maybe it means losing that job. Maybe it means making less money, maybe you lose a relationship, maybe you don't get into that school. But this does not mean that the vine dresser, the father, does not love you. We're reminded of this in Hebrews chapter 12 when God disciplines the ones whom he loves. He does this so that you will bear more fruit. So when's the last time you have been pruned by God? Third, you need to know your need of the Bible in prayer. Know your need of the Bible in prayer. Verse 7, if you abide in me, in my words abide in you. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? It means to abide in his words. 
Jesus, what do you mean when you say abide in me? Answer, open your Bible. Meditate. Hide that word in your heart so that you may not sin against God. Jesus' words are synonymous with his person. You can't divorce Jesus from his words. And this is why we as Christians are really serious about the Bible. It's vital for our connection to Jesus. It's not just a religious tradition that we do, but it's the living and active word of God. And apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And there are so many even helpful apps that you can get on your phone that can actually read you the Bible or can remind you to read the Bible. You can get a notification set up every day. So why not set up something like this if you're struggling to read your Bible? Why not challenge your spouse, your children, your roommates to memorize scripture? And as you do this, Jesus says, as you abide in my word, verse 7 and verse 16, you ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So you want a bigger house, new car, a new job? No. Notice what precedes this request, abiding, abiding in the words of Jesus. Therefore, the abiding informs your requests. Abiding in scripture informs how you pray. And I was so helped, and I believe Pastor Stephen shared this uh, a few months ago, but this quote by, by John Piper really helps. What does it look like to pray with scripture? What does it mean to be saturated in scripture as you pray? So let me read this, and I think it will be helpful to you. He says, our prayers are made more powerful when they are saturated with the Bible. And that happens for people who memorize scripture. People who don't memorize scripture generally pray in cliches. They pray like unbelievers. Those who do memorize scriptures are always enriching their prayers with the very word of God. A believer should distrust his needs and seek God's word for what he really needs and pray for that. Pray Make your name holy in my family. Come like a lion into my child's life. God, do your will like the angels in heaven are asking you to do. Guard me from temptation. Let me gouge out my life before I fall into lust. Let me love my enemies. Do you see how if you're abiding in Jesus, abiding in his word, soaking in his word, that will inform you to pray things that will help you bear fruit. And finally, Know the love of Jesus as you love one another. Know the love of Jesus as you love one another. So abiding in Jesus is abiding in his word, abiding in prayer. But abiding in Jesus is also, as he says in verse 9, abiding in my love. Because of his love. When we obey, we show that we are abiding. Rest your life on the love of Jesus, the one who lays down his life for his friends. We see that in verse 13. This is the core of the gospel. Jesus wasn't a mere revolutionary. He wasn't merely put to death by Romans, although those, those things are, have truth to them. He gave his life. And he calls you his friend. If you read scripture, it is astonishing that God now calls you his friend. Because your sin was great. You rebel against God. We all rebel against God. We choose our own ways. Yet God sent Jesus and because he has loved his friends, he died for us. 
The one who showed you the plan of the Father. The one who chose you, verse 16. Don't ever forget the love of the cross. Nobody has a greater love than this. We love him and obey him because he first loved us. We abide as we obey and we obey as we abide. And we love one another, verse 17. We love one another. Just as I can't look at a blade of grass without eternity coming to mind, the disciples would not have been able to, I'm sure, look at another vineyard without thinking about their mission and their need toward Jesus. May the same be true of us today, my fellow Northern Virginians. We live in an area filled with vineyards. You can't drive many places without seeing one. So I pray that you will never look at those vineyards or drive by those vineyards again without being reminded of your mission and utter dependence on Jesus, the true vine. Maybe within the next few weeks, you could take your family or a friend you need to tell about Jesus and explain these wonderful gospel truths to him at a vineyard. You exist to bear fruit for the glory of God. So abide in Jesus, the one who gave his life for his friends. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have done for us. May we abide in you. May we know your word. And may we know how you have loved us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.